Welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, this is nice. San Diego weather, man. We're, we, you know, we spent almost 11 years in Seattle, and so right now the rain's coming back in Seattle. This is amazing that we can do this, but like I said, hopefully I'll know tomorrow. They're meeting tomorrow if we can get into a building, which would be uh, a really big deal for us. If you're new here, my name is Dan. Uh, Alexis, my wife, and I and our family, we just are really having a good time getting back out of the COVID quarantine back to the new abnormal, I guess, is what we're going to call this. Things are really never going to go back to the way that they were, but the church has always managed. The church has always adapted. And so as a brand new church plant, that is exactly what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to adapt. So just a couple quick announcements for us, and then we will be in John chapter 5 this morning. If you guys have your Bibles, you can open up to John chapter 5. We'll be starting in verse 16. I'm actually not going to do a scripture reading this morning. We're actually going to um, work our way through the text verse by verse, work our way through sections. So John chapter 5 this morning. A couple of quick announcements here. Um, if you are praying about making this your church family home, uh, the way that you can give, if you want to contribute to what we're doing here, the Mission of Neighbors Church, you can go to sdneighbors.church slash give. The best way for you to sign up there is to get a recurring giving account going because what that does is it really helps us establish our budget. You can also text to Neighbors Church an amount to 77977, 77977 to Neighbors Church and then text the amount that you want to give and that will go directly into our accounts. I want to remind you guys that essentially, and this is not doom and gloom, but COVID, we were in quarantine for six months. It's impossible to grow financially and numerically across Zoom. Nobody's like, hey, man, you want to come join me for another Zoom meeting on Sunday morning? And so we are basically two quarters behind where a regular church plant would be as far as growth metrics, financially and numerically. What that means for us is because our outside support is on a time limit, this is a swing for the fences year, loved ones. And if you're being called to this church plant, Every penny's going to count for us here this year to get self-supporting. My wife and I, we don't receive any pay from Neighbors Church. We're supported outside. We just hired Joshua Randall as our worship leader. They're traveling over the next couple weeks. But we've made some big decisions to swing for the fences. And so please pray about your role, your responsibility in supporting this community. As well, 5% goes to social justice. We support Steps of Justice, Phil Cunningham and those guys, and 5% goes to church planting because one of you is going to be called to plant a church out of this church, so we've got a little nest egg being built up for you. Number two, communities, 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 communities. I think if I say it enough, you guys will remember that we want you into a community, 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 community. Okay. Does everybody know what I want to talk about right now? What? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you guys are such good students. Communities, 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 communities. This is a huge value of ours. If COVID has taught us one thing, it is that we need embodied fellowship with one another. The human brain, mind, psyche, and soul is designed to be in the presence of other humans. The way that we love one another, the way that we care for our neighborhoods, the way that we care for one another is in and through community. This fall, please, at the very beginning of this church plant, 
Everybody feels awkward. Nobody knows anybody. We're starting all over completely again. So now is the time to press into a community. We're trying to make it as easy as possible in that you can go to sdneighbors.church, click on communities. There's going to be a form for you to fill out. The form will be filled out. Somebody will follow up with you within 48 hours, and we will point you to a community that you can go join. Notice I said join. One of the things that we want to press, we want to set the bar high from the very beginning. Please don't think of community as something that you're going to go visit to see what that community will give to you. Instead, prayerfully consider, I'm being called to go into this community to contribute to this community, to become one, to become part of this family. And so at a bare minimum, when you go into a community, you're going to go for at least four weeks. This is what we're asking you to do, at least four weeks before you decide not to go back. And hopefully by then it's like, okay, this is my family. This is my home. Communities, 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 communities. This fall, we're actually going to start a book. We're going to start working through Reappearing Church by Mark Sayers, which is going to align our church for January 2021 with the same DNA and same vision for the way that we're thinking about communities, communities, communities. Number three. So that you can know what's going on, COVID and the new abnormal, and as always with a church plant, we don't know where we're going to be gathering. For now, we're gathering out here on Sunday mornings. At 9.15, we do pre-gathering prayer. I want to remind you guys, we actually start our gathering at 9.15 with prayer. We believe that's the beginning of the gathering for Sunday morning. 10 a.m., we'll be out here in Ward Canyon Park doing song, communion, and teaching from the scriptures. But sign up for the newsletter. Again, sdneighbors.church. There's a little form you can fill out there for our weekly so that every week you'll get an email saying, hey, this week we're going to be at the building or this week we're going to be at this park because for whatever reason, Ward Canyon is closed. You just need to have your ear to the ground. You can also follow us on Instagram. With that being said, hopefully everybody has your Bibles this morning. John chapter 5. We're back in our series, Traveling Through the Gospel of John, our series that we've entitled Come and See. John compiled his historical and theological biography of Jesus in such a way that readers from all sorts of backgrounds could come and see Jesus as Savior and King. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time now with my family this morning, and we're asking that your Holy Spirit would highlight what you want to highlight, and that there would be a, re a reawakening in our souls around the profound truths that every human is going to raise from the dead. I'd like us to just take a little moment here and just consider that one thing right now for yourself personally, that you are going to rise from the ground, though you be in a grave, Every human will rise and live eternally. We are eternal souls. Speak to us about these things today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. I uh, was reflecting on this, and I have personally found that some of the most simple teachings are some of the most profound themes of all of the Bible, the gospel, and yet, Though they are so profound, they tend to run in the background of my mind rather than in the foreground of my mind. Things like the reality that 
God that made the sun, the moon, the stars, these beautiful trees, this park, and every human you see, God that created all that is, became a human. Simple, profound truths like there is an ultimate judgment coming. Things like I just reflected on in prayer, resurrection from the dead. Things like eternal life, these humongous concepts, for the most part, run somewhere in the background of my life. They're certainly not shaping Every day when I wake up and get out of bed, the first thing I I definitely have never thought rolling out of bed, I'm going to live forever, and that's going to change my day. I I just don't do that. I don't think any of us do that. But when we move these basics, these simple, profound truths of the gospel and the teachings of Scripture from the background of our lives to the foreground of our lives, what happens is, we see this world and our circumstances and our personal situations in an entirely new light. I was feeling somewhat down back in July. Oh, man, woe is me. Global plague, schisms, socially, Zoom. This is awful. And one morning I woke up and I was like, wait, we're all going to rise from the dead. It changes the way that we view global plague and a fracturing society And it changes the way that we view other humans as we seek to make disciples for the kingdom. Remember, for such a time as this, God has called you and myself and this church and the church of Jesus to make disciples. To make disciples. To make followers, apprentices of Jesus. And so this morning we're just going to bring forth from our text in Matthew chapter 5 beginning in verse 16. Three of the most profound Beautiful, mind-blowing themes of Jesus' teachings. We want to bring those this morning from the background of our lives. And prayerfully, we want to keep them in the foreground of our lives so that they'll shape the way that we think about every given moment, every circumstance that we find ourselves in. Starting with this. Jesus was God embodied in the flesh among us. Jesus was God embodied in the flesh among us. John 5, verse 16 through 18. Because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Don't miss that line there in verse 18. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. What reasons? Because he was breaking Shabbat. He was breaking the traditional ways of Jewish Sabbath in their culture But more importantly, for this reason, they were trying to kill him because he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This section here in the Gospel of John, it begins the the ramping up of antagonism between Jesus and the Jewish religious elite of his day. That all culminates in his being turned over to the Roman Empire and his crucifixion. What Jesus was doing through these sections, especially right here, was he was poking the religious proverbial bear, so to speak. 
He was not adhering to their social custom. He was turning long-held traditions on their head. He was offending the religious scholars. And most importantly, Jesus was claiming to be equal with God. This is John's kind of Jewish shorthand way of saying Jesus claimed to be the embodied presence of Yahweh, the Jewish God of the Old Testament. Jesus claimed to be the creator God among his creation. And what Jesus did with his proclamations was he drew an uncrossable line in the sand between himself and all other religions that have ever been or ever will be. Every spiritual guru and master and teacher and system throughout history on this planet has always given forth this core message. Let me, let us, let this system tell you how to reach God. No religious system, spiritual master, teacher, or guru has ever dared to say what Jesus said. I am God among you, with you, and for you. C.S. Lewis Mere Christianity, required reading for every Christian. If you have not read Mere Christianity today, sign up for a community and read Mere Christianity. (laughs) He said this, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we cannot say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the very devil of hell. You make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. Jesus did not leave that option open to us, and he did not intend to. Lewis goes on here, and for himself, he said he was a, uh, he was a, like a, a frustrated believer. He kind of came into the kingdom kicking, kicking and screaming against it. <laughs> Lewis would say, now it seems to me obvious that Jesus was not a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and he is God. You know, if you're new in your spiritual search, maybe brought here this morning by a friend, considering Christianity, questioning spirituality, start with Jesus and his proclamations of deity embodied in flesh. You can skip through all the other systems. You will not find any other system or teacher who said such things. And for those of us who have already committed ourselves to Jesus in obedience and apprenticeship under him, would you let this just come to the foreground of your mind in this moment? The infinite God that made that cute little hummingbird all the way through the swath of the universe for you, for you and I dwelt among us as a human to be tempted as we are yet without sin, 
to take upon himself the burden of our guilt and shame that we would be liberated and freed and rose from the dead. That truth radically changes the way that you handle tomorrow morning, friend. The truth that God entered into this world for the sake of this world changes the way that you think about your life and your context and the circumstances within which you find yourself. Second profound truth this morning. Jesus was and is God. Number two, Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the judge. Yes, just a fun morning at Neighbors Church. Here we go. Verse 19 through 23. He's got the Jewish elite all riled up. They're upset. He's kicking over sacred cows, turning over traditions, unsettling their social customs, claiming to be God among them. Jesus gave them this answer as well. Verse 19, John 5, very truly. When Jesus opens his lines with, it's more accurately translated, uh, amin, amin, truly, truly, he's saying, hear this, don't miss this. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. The Father has entrusted all judgment to the Son. And so Jesus, in his life, he did all that the Father showed him to do. Teaching, confronting dead hearts, healing the blind, the lame, the deaf, raising the dead. And ultimately, the Father entrusted all judgment of all of the world, of every human, to the Son. It goes without saying that some of us right now are possibly being triggered. <laughs> the, the judgment of God, what an unpopular theme, not only amongst our secular friends and family members, our non-believing friends and family members, judgment is a theme that we struggle with. There's a reason we don't keep judgment right at the foreground of our minds. Can you imagine, and I hope you do, tomorrow morning you wake up, roll out of bed, like, whoa, Jesus is going to judge me. That's, that's ah, whoa. That's a lot. That's a lot. We wrestle with this and we are offended by the idea and the theme of judgment for a number of reasons. Ironically, we actually are often most offended and wrestle with actually just a caricature of Jesus' teachings on this. Let me explain. Whenever we think about judgment, we envision God just waiting for us to mess up so he can cast us into the flames and be poked eternally by a devil with a plastic pitchfork. And I, I honestly, for some reason, I don't know how in our collective imagination we always dress the devil in like a red spandex unitard and he has a set of plastic horns and his little plastic pitchfork and maybe like Metallica in the background and a Coors Light in his hand, whatever. Like that's our collective vision of the devil. And if that is the vision, this vision of 
eternal flames and little devils and spandex unitards, all of these things, if that's the vision that we take offense to, that is a misrepresentation of Jesus' teachings. That is a misrepresentation of Christian theology. Those images, the demons, the flames, all of those things, those actually come from paintings and concepts of medieval Europeans living in an illiterate cultural setting in the darkest ages of our history. You're being offended by something that is not Jesus, but that doesn't change how much we should wrestle with this. Second reason that we wrestle and, and struggle with the theme of judgment is because, let's be humble, we are limited and we are deformed in our perspectives because of sin. When we hear the word judgment, we can only understand it and categorize it within our own time-bound, limited understanding. We don't see every human heart, every decision, every thread, every factor, every motivation, every imagination. Every, we don't see every inclination perfectly. We could not. We don't even see our own motivations and actions and behaviors perfectly. And we see it all from this tiny little 80 years, if God gives us strength, moment in the span of eternity. And so from our perspective, when we hear the word judgment, we justifiably ask, how is it good and loving for a God to judge forever? Are we, is it, I don't understand. That's a justified question, friend, from our limited perspective, perspective, from our deformed perspective. But let me assure you of this. And this is why I want you to wake up thinking about judgment tomorrow morning. God actually wants us to wrestle with this question. He wants us to. Here's what I mean. When we are wrestling and struggling and questioning, wow, God, what does this mean, judgment? And why would, how, what, oh, I'm wrestling with that. When we're doing that, we are actually wrestling with the real matters of existence. Right in the foreground of our lives instead of the background of our lives. When we wrestle with God and we're like, I don't understand this, and I'm praying, and I'm asking questions, and I'm reading, and I'm studying, and I'm thinking, and I'm with community, and I'm doing all these things. When we're doing that, we're actually immersing ourselves in thoughts on God, on love, on what is holiness, how holy is God in reference to judgment. What does perfection mean? What does never sinning mean when Jesus was alive? What does my sin mean before a holy God? What does eternity mean? When we're wrestling with these concepts of judgment, we're actually producing intimacy with our Father. We're drawing close to Him, and He welcomes that wrestling. The church has done a huge disservice to so many questioning souls. They come and they say, I don't understand God. This concept of judgment, how is that loving? I can't comprehend that. And the church, just with these oversimplistic, reductionistic answers, the Bible says it, you shouldn't question it. If you do, you're going to hell. This is why so many of us are deconstructing Christian theology. We're reacting to a misrepresentation, a collective imagination of devils in red spandex, which is ridiculous, or we're reacting to our own limited understanding and the church's inability to say, we should wrestle with this because it is overwhelming. This is scary stuff. This is a big deal. We're talking about eternity. You're going to live forever. And your father says, come wrestle with me, kiddo. Let this stuff get under your skin. Let it, let it mess with your head a little bit because at least then you're thinking about the things that really matter at the foreground of your life and they're not just running on the background of your life. I think a third reason that we really wrestle with this judgment thing, you guys, is because in our heart of hearts, in our innate, visceral, deep being, 
we know that we cannot escape it. Let me explain that as well. Every human on this planet was created with an innate sense of reward for right. When you do right, you are rewarded. And when you do wrong, there is recompense. All of us have an innate sense of righteous justice. We know that wrongs should be made right and rights should be multiplied in the world. This innate sense of righteous justice, it's coded into our spiritual DNA because we are image bearers of God who is perfectly righteous. But sin has deformed our heart. So here's where we stand in this dilemma, this catch-22. We see wrong. We want wrong judged. But if we want wrong judged, the minute we look into our hearts, we're like, oh, wait, but I, oh, I've done a little bit of wrong. <laughs> I want that wrong judged. Don't, don't look at my wrong, though. <laughs> sin has put us in this catch-22 dilemma where we have this sense of righteous judgment, and we want righteousness, but we do not want the righteous ruler to have his rules in our heart. It's as Mark Sayers says, this is the book we'll be going through this fall, we want the kingdom, but we sure don't want the king. This is why the Bible describes us prior to belief and surrender to Jesus as rebels, as enemies. We're facing off with the king saying, you do right in the world as I define right, but don't do right against me. And the problem is we struggle and labor. We either rebel against that, fine, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Or we become uber-religious, yet we know that no amount of good works and hard effort can make up for all the wrong that we know we've committed, guys. We know we're not who we're supposed to be. We know that all of us are struggling with and failing in lust, pride, greed, selfishness, anger, impatience, the whole thing. And we know that there's no amount of covering that up and glossing it with Instagram filters to, to make us righteous before God. We know that it's there. And it's inescapable for us. And because we cannot escape it, this judgment, it unconsciously, and when it's talked about, it consciously terrifies us. And rightly so, friends. Rightly so. This isn't flannel graph Sunday mornings with two-year-olds. We're talking about, I'm going to be judged. And I want that judgment for the world. I want evil to be judged. But that means that I will be judged. Which brings us to the whole core of the gospel of Jesus of Nazareth, where we find comfort and escape and peace and serenity for our souls. Jesus was judged in our place. Jesus, God among us, Jesus, the judge over us, was judged in our place as an act of mercy and love and kindness. The crucifixion of the innocent Son of God as our substitute that is where we find a settling for our souls. And though that be an act of absolute injustice, innocent Son of God crucified in our place, that is the core of the good news that sets us free from this dilemma of wanting righteousness but not wanting righteousness brought against us. It says in verse 23 that we will only be judged on the basis of whether or not we honor the Son whether or not we give glory to, trust in, and honor what Jesus the Son did for us in our place. And this is a radical call, Christians. This is a radical call for all humans. Because we have been given this volition, this ability to choose. And so we either reject what God has done for us in Jesus, we dishonor the Son, 
we dishonor his words, his works, his crucifixion, his resurrection, or we daily, tomorrow morning, we get up and we think about Jesus was God among us. Jesus is the judge of all of us. Today, I live my life to honor him. Every facet of my being to honor him. I surrender to him. His work on my behalf, I receive it as an act of honoring what he did for me, which leads to verse 24. Read with me, please. Verse 24, Jesus again, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. The hope and the peace and the joy that is brought to the foreground of our minds when meditating on and letting these things saturate our perspectives every single day is that we go forth into our day saying, Jesus, I want to hear your word today. And I'm going to, sur- belief is just surrender. It's, it's placing the full weight of your soul in your existence. I'm going to believe the Father who sent you as a gift of grace in my place to be crucified, taking my guilt, my shame, my wrongness. It was judged there so that I am completely free and pure and robed in your righteousness, Jesus. Thank you. And that type of faith, we wrestle with it because it's humbling. We can only receive that gift by pure faith, by a pure trust. So we surrender our lives to Jesus, and in him, we're told, the Holy Spirit indwells us, and we are made one with God, this mysterious union with God. We cross over in that moment from death to life. Daily, we awake and we say, I've crossed over from death to life. Today, may I honor the Son by hearing his words and believing the Father who sent him in my place. And in my opinion, this is something that is, it's, it's so category-destroying. It's the most profound teaching ever given by any spiritual system or guru or master through any point in all of history. This idea that we will all rise from the dead. Every human will rise from the dead. Let that be in the foreground of your minds. Let's finish here in verses 16 through 29. Jesus was God among us. Jesus is the judge. We will all rise from the dead. Verse 16. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice, the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Don't be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. That is shocking. If that's real, what is happening? Those who have done what is good will rise to live. Those who have done what is evil will rise to become to be condemned. Jesus is quoting here directly from Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. The son of man that the Jewish people had looked to for centuries, the king that would reign, Jesus is declaring himself to be that king among them. And he's saying the way that I will reign is by going to your death and rising on your behalf. 
and those who hear and honor him, doing good in this life through obedience to him, will rise to live eternally with him. And those who do what is evil, which is that dishonoring, turning a deaf ear, defining justice within our own myopic, uh, myopic means that our own little centered space, our own tiny little limited space, those who commit themselves to living that way will rise to be condemned. What we need to understand is that eternal life begins now, right now, in this moment. You and I are eternal, right now, forever, eternal. And so as we honor Jesus through obedience and trust, what happens is that eternal life that we will rise infuses this present moment, this teaching, this time in the park together. And so eternity starts now as we anticipate, as we look forward to this future resurrection. And that resurrection, I don't know, resurrection, it's shaping, it's shaping our day. No matter what comes, this reality that I will rise from the dead should shape the way that I think about my day and who and why I interact with and the way I interact with other humans. Believers honoring Jesus through faith and trust and obedience to his words, we are given a real and a new identity, an eternal life resurrected identity in the Godhead in the present moment. And that same identity that you've been given right now in this moment is an immortal life which will survive death and be literally re-embodied in the final resurrection. Not reincarnated, not passed on to another body. Jesus declared all humans will rise in body, touchable, tangible bodies. We will rise from the grave to live in a world much like this, but free from sin and death and shame. When that is at the foreground of our lives, when you carry that tomorrow into your workplace, into your classrooms, on Zoom right now, when you carry that into your families, into your neighborhoods, it really does reframe the way that we look at absolutely everything. I look at my circumstances right now through the truth that God was among us. God will judge perfectly. Jesus was judged in my place, and I will rise from the dead. I look at my friends and my family members, my neighbors, my coworkers, fellow students, my strangers, and enemies even, and I find myself saying, God came among all of us. And God will judge all of us. Jesus was judged in the place of all of us, and all of us will rise. How does that reframe the way that you think about your interactions and prayer and life with others? Eternal life, when we move in this space of meditation daily, letting it be in the foreground of our lives, eternal life in the moment pulsates within us and out around through all the people to us. Grace and love compels us to more grace and love. Joy overflows our lives as we are in such great gratitude. No matter what's going on around us, we have so much gratitude to Jesus because he was the one judged so that we'll never be judged. And here's where we close as we come to communion this morning. When these simple but profound truths filter our days, we come to the deep assurance we know that no global plague, COVID-19 or whatever else this world may throw at us, no political discord, no social schisms, nothing can separate us from the love of God because death, death has become a gateway for us into everlasting union with the Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit. It is what we look forward to. It is the hope and the strength and the joy given in the midst of social collapse and sickness spreading across the globe. It's the words that we herald. It's the entrance point to making disciples. Come and meet God among us, God the judge, God judged in our place. Jesus is God. Jesus is the judge. And we will rise. Jared, if you'd come forward, friend, we're going to take communion this morning. We have little plastic cups here that are COVID protocol approved. And we try as much as we can every week to partake of communion. Communion is a time for Christians where we, in an embodied way, with these tangible emblems and symbols in our hands, a cracker representing the broken body of Jesus and grape juice or wine representing the blood of Jesus, with these tactile symbols, we remember We remember that God is not just waiting to drop the hammer on you. If I could just grab your attention for one more minute to set up this meditation in communion this morning, I wouldn't be surprised if some of us are like, I think God's really angry at me. I mean, 2020, he's he's upset. 2020 was going to be my vision year. 2020 was going to be, and I've been in quarantine for six months. I lost my job. I haven't seen my friends. 2020, this was going to be the year. I I can't even have conversations around my dinner table with friends anymore because somebody mentions politics and it just goes nuclear. And I think for some of us, we find ourselves very unsettled, disoriented. Listen, the profound truth is that God himself, the maker of all it is, enfleshed himself to come right into your pain. He's not, he is not just waiting to drop the hammer. 2020 is not, I'm going to punish you. 2020 is a moment for all Christians to reflect deeply. What does eternal life mean? What does it mean that God entered into this sickness, into these schisms, What does it mean that God rules over the empires of humans? God rules over the politics of humans where he has ascended to the right hand of the Father. What does that all mean for us? Because that should deeply change all the reactions of our body, even deep into the chemicals of our body, all those things that produce the anxiety and the fear and even shame, all these things. When we meditate on these things, it reshapes our bodies and our emotions so that we leave times of communion saying, whoa, I can go forward into this world and I can can give to this world this gift of Jesus with my life, with my calmness, with my presence, with eternal life pulsating out of me. The cross means that you are not being punished because you are utterly forgiven. The cross means that you are utterly pure and right not by what you've done, but just by receiving that grace. And so as we sing this morning, allow the Holy Spirit to come and give to you the gift of grace where you receive the truth. Jesus was judged in your place. You don't need to fear.
and it's probably going to get worse this year. I don't think we're ever going back to normal and better. I think we're heading towards weird plague stuff, riots, social unrest, and we, the church, can sit at the foot of the cross and say, come join us, refugees, from this moral, social, political revolution happening around us. Come, black, white, Mexican, Asian, come, every tribe, tongue, and nation, come, man, woman, child, come, poor, rich, come, be with Jesus. He's the king. And he's going to raise all of us. Can we in this life be raised one notch higher by living that now here in the church? I pray, Holy Spirit, give hope to Christians in this time of communion. Give hope. If we've placed our hope in a political platform, if we've placed our hope in the ability of humans to, to, work our, to work out these schisms ourselves, Lord, we are truly hopeless. Lord, give us hope that those who are doing wrong in this world, they, they will be judged. All will be judged. But also give us the covering of Jesus right now in a more profound way than ever before that our wrong is covered in Jesus' death. May these Christians here this morning, may they be liberated to sing and, and to dance and to worship. May we confess our sin knowing that we are not judged, we are comforted. And I do pray, Lord, from the foot of the cross, we would go forward into our world this week and make disciples. In our political conversations, we would just say, you know, for me, Jesus truly is our only hope. In our racial conversations that we would say I want to see every ethnicity gathered together at the foot of the cross forgiven and every tribe, tongue and nation worshiping the resurrected King Jesus in the resurrection and Lord we know that global plague may consume more but they will rise from the dead plague will be but a gateway into union with our Father these are the profound truths of the gospel. Father, I cry out, forgive your church for forgetting these immense truths. Forgive us for allowing our minds to linger on meaningless distractions. Fill our minds this week with the matters of heaven and earth, life and death, resurrection. Fill our minds with these things that our souls would be shaped and the contours of the kingdom would emerge into our spheres of influence this week, Father. And as we take communion this morning, we remember that this is what you're doing because you sent your son. And because you died, Jesus, and because you are alive, we can trust in your power. We can trust in your work. We can trust in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. As Jared begins to sing, uh, if you didn't bring your own communion, my wife will be up here. You can just grab one cup. Please return to your seating area, and we'll partake of communion together this morning. So during the first song, come on up, and then we'll have a meditation time and reflect. Partake of communion together as an act of unity, and then we'll go about our Sunday afternoon.